12 questions. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Hi, my name is Anna Valenzuela, and uh, I'm very excited for today. Feeling tired, feeling sleepy, feeling like I'm exercising too much. And I'm very excited uh, to introduce our host, our co host. You know him, you love him, Mr. Dave Yates. Wake up, bitch. It's time to podcast. It's Dave Yates in the house. We're doing it. We're doing it. I love it. Dave, can you read us that beautiful clarity statement? Sure can. Uh, welcome to the 12 Questions Podcast. This is a podcast where we believe growth and recovery isn't just for clean and sober people. Our mission is to share our experiences and growth by also interviewing guests who do the same. We are not affiliated with AA, NA, or any other 12-step organization. 12 Questions Pod has absolutely no opinion on the use of drugs or alcohol by anyone. We're simply just two people that happen to be in recovery that want to interview people about their own life experiences. Although some of our guests may be clean and sober, some of them are or not or choose not to divulge. The purpose of this podcast is to learn more about ourselves and others. We hope you can learn something about yourselves and each other by listening. Yay! Hey, very excited. And we always let our guests introduce themselves. Very excited to have this lady here. So stoked. Who are we speaking with today? Hi, uh, my name is Sarah Dalton, and thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I was so excited when Dave uh, asked me to do this. Um, I know y'all are in LA. I'm here in Nashville, Tennessee. Ooh, Nash Vegas. Yes. Nice. And uh, I am also, I'm a fellow comic in recovery, and I'm stoked to connect with you guys and talk comedy, talk uh, recovery, talk life. Yeah. Yeah, it's very exciting. I'm so, what's, what is life like where you are right now? Um, well, so Nashville is the new bachelorette capital. It is the new Vegas. New. We, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been that shit. <laughs> yeah. It, our downtown right now has not stopped. We have like a few week break of people not going to the bars, but, um, the bachelorettes are back. And if you drive downtown, there's like two Nashvilles going on. You know, there's the people staying safe at home and, um, you know, doing minimal trips outside. And then you drive down Broadway and there's just, you know, bachelorettes and their little flowered rompers and cowboy boots just oh, packing into bars. Are they at least, are they at least like masked up or is it not even a thing for them? No, it's not. It's not really a thing. Ooh, unfortunately, it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's definitely two Nashvilles, but um, I've been trying to stay safe. Um, I live in a one-bedroom house, um, so I've been kind of holed up, just working from home, uh, trying to connect as much, do as many Zoom meetings as I can, mm -hmm. and some social distance hanging with my friends. Mm -hmm. Are you liking the Zoom meetings? I'm kind of loving them. I do like that uh, I don't have to wake up as early because my home group meets at 9 a.m. And yeah. usually I would have to, you know, it's, I would want to get dressed and put, you know, my makeup on and make sure I look good because it's a huge group. There's like 100 people in my home group. 
Um, and now I just have to like throw on lipstick and I don't even have to wear pants. I I'm always muting my video, uh, whenever I have to get up to go like get water or do something, because if I'm worried, if I stand up, they'll see that I'm not wearing pants. Oh, that's so funny. I had a guy in my home group stand up who was not wearing pants while he was sharing. <laughs> we were like, uh, Hey, so we can see your chonies. Um, if you sit. <laughs> And he was like, oh, I'm sorry. And we haven't seen him in a while. Um, apparently, that's a thing too embarrassing to come back to. I have no idea. But I love that you put on a face. I go to a meeting. I'm like, lucky if I took a shower, honestly. See, I wear, yeah. I wear basketball shorts just because I know I'll forget and just stand up and be, be that guy. So I, I, I wear basketball shorts. Like I get up and like, I roll like into the shorts because, uh, I'm afraid I will forget. And people are going to see my chonies, which is my favorite, uh, term for underwear. Welcome to California, baby. That's what brown people call underwear. Chonies. Come on down. <laughs> I've I never heard that. I'm going to use it. It's I the best. Use it. It's the best way to, it's the best way to say, to say underwear. It truly is. It makes you feel special. It's cute. You know what I mean? If you're ever around uh, a Latino person, they're going to hear you say that and be like, oh, someone told her. Okay. Okay. <laughs> or, or someone fucks a lot of Latinos. Hey. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, let's get into this thing. Let's ask you these questions. Um, how do you experience surrender? Man, um, I like this question. Um, man, I feel like I'm sharing. It's going to be just like a, a giant, giant share. Um, <laughs> I love this idea of hands-off living. You know, the um, like freedom from the bondage of self was one of the things that stuck out to me in early recovery, just um, giving up my expectations um, and giving up uh, caring about what other people think of me, which sounds super easy to say it, but you know, it's a Hard. lot harder yeah. to actually practice it. Yeah, that should um, be easy. No one yeah, ever thought that not, was easy. <laughs> uh, it's not easy at all, but that's, I don't know. I think that in my recovery, uh, that's something that I've been working on the most just with my character defects is, um, just waking up every morning and realizing that I just have to worry about me and what I'm doing and me in terms of like being, you know, the best self so that I can be the best self to other people. Um, but keeping my side of the uh, street clean, just um, focusing on putting one foot in front of the other. And if I'm doing that, what other people think of me is going to be none of my business. And then that kind of hands off, just to hands off the wheel living is there's a lot of freedom to it. And it, it's brought me uh, a lot of comfort. Yeah. At first it feels like a free fall. Like I went bungee jumping a while back. And when I jumped, I immediately tried to grab for the air and that reminded that was like a physical surrender, like resistance to surrender. Like, Oh, wait a minute. There's nothing under me now. And then over time I started to enjoy the free fall of it, of that, like, Oh, I just, I don't have to control this. This is great. So comfortable. Yeah. I just, I went cliff jumping for the first time this weekend. <gasps> Hell yeah. Um, and I have to, I have to clarify, uh, my friends all went 
actual cliff jumping. Um, and I said, hell no. And then uh, there was like a tiny little, like a little baby rock. It was more like a rock jump. Uh, but my, my, my friends all convinced me to, to jump off of it. And it took about um, probably 15 minutes of me standing on the edge, looking to one of my friends saying, um, so I just, I just put one foot out and then mm -hmm. I just jump off, right? Mm -hmm. like, yeah, yeah, you just jump. And I'm like, okay, so just to clarify, I have to do jump. Like, yeah, I'm like, okay, one more time again. And there's like little kids nearby and they're just jumping off all the cliffs. And I'm like asking them, you know, have you done this? Is, and you just jumped? And they're like, yeah, we just jumped. <laughs> and I finally did it. That's beautiful. Yeah, that now, was... Now, before getting sober, did you jump off of things? Like, or is this, is this a sobriety resistance? No, um, yeah, probably a sobriety resistance. I was always very, um, uh, not much of a risk taker in terms of things like that. Like I would, I would never go skydiving. I didn't, you know, like even just like the idea of, of like driving somewhere and having to find a parking spot. Like I was such a, <laughs> such a, uh, a creature of comfort. I liked routines and um the things that were comfortable for me and even just like going out remember the first uh first few weeks of sobriety a girl invited me out to dinner uh for a birthday and i didn't know her very well and there, and there was like 12 girls i'd never met them before and i was like texting my friends like what do i what do i, what do I put my hands what do i say it's a hibachi <laughs> grill like what do i order <laughs> Yeah, I was like that too. I lived very small. I lived very small and mostly out of fear and uh, fear of embarrassment more than anything else. And suddenly when it took a little bit of time, but suddenly in my recovery, I really shed all of that, which was crazy. I was like, who are you? I just, it was one day I had a roommate who would be like, you're so embarrassing to be around. And one day I realized, no, that's what makes me completely fucking cool is that like, I am embarrassing, but like in a fun way, you know, like I'm just 100% me and we all just, there's, I don't have to worry about being cool anymore, which is delightful. Yes. I can fully embrace being a. Got a little bit of a lag. Mm, mm, mm. Guys. We're doing it still doing it. Sarah froze. She's probably talking right now. Yeah, she don't realize. She 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 she, she be frozen. Frozen as fuck. Here, I'm gonna put it in the chat. Oh, you're what? back. There you are. Yay. Yay. Okay, she's back. Yay. Yay. I'm sorry. No. Uh, I hope you guys can like edit any yes. lags around this. Okay, perfect. There's a tornado nope. warning. We're, we're, so, we're leaving uh, it. We're leaving it. We're leaving. It. <laughs> yeah, we're going to keep that whole part where you didn't know you were frozen, probably, and you kept talking, and then we were just like, blah, 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 blah. Um, what is the most insane moment you've had, either in or out of recovery? I was thinking about this question. This is one of the tougher ones because I feel like outside of the recovery rooms with just normal people, like my coworkers or family friends, I've had this like crazy, insane life. Um, and then I talked to other comics or other people in recovery who just uh, lived a lot more than me. And their response is kind of like, that's all you've done. That's it. So I feel like I'm kind of in the, in the middle there. 
Yeah. Yeah. But um, I think one of the one of the weirdest times in my life, I would say, is uh, there's about two to three years um, where I was a regular at what I firmly believe is the diviest bar in America. Uh, I will go on record, fight me if you could find a divier bar um, than Tin Dog Tavern on 4th Avenue South, Nashville, Tennessee. I hold by this. <laughs> it was, it was, and I was a regular there and I also sometimes worked there because it was one of those places where we regulars just kind of got roped into being employees. Yeah. Um, like I would stop in for a beer on, uh, after work. And there'd be a regular behind the bar and I'd walk in and they'd be like, oh, thank God you're here. It's your turn now. And then they would pack up and start ah! to leave. I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'm behind the bar for until somebody else shows up. I mean, did they and, pay you in alcohol at least? Yeah, they paid in alcohol. Sometimes uh, I, I would, you know, just straight up tell the owner, um, like, I'm taking $50 from the cash register because I've been here for four hours yeah. um, and nobody came in. Um, but I, I remember there was a, it really started going downhill after the first stabbing, I would say. Um, Wait, you got stabbed <laughs> or you witnessed a stabbing? I witnessed, I witnessed a few stabbings. There was, um, there was constantly standing water on the ground and there was cockroaches everywhere. Um, just really seedy, seedy people. And for some reason, th I think this is, you know, what they talk about the, the, the cycle of insanity. Um, I spent like every day there for two years uh, and worked there and um, made a lot of friends and made a lot of enemies. And that's actually where I started stand up comedy was because they uh, they started an open mic there. Um, of they were desperate for business. Yeah, of course. The sign of like, a failing business. Yes, <laughs> yeah, when, when open mic comedy is is the thing in your brain that's going to save this establishment. <laughs> that's that's when you know it's bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's the first time I I did stand up comedy, and uh, I was just I was only doing it at that bar for I don't know maybe six months, and uh, then I started kind of branching out. Um, I didn't consider myself a comic for a really long time because I, I just only did it at that one bar. And I was really, I was afraid of failing. Um, I was afraid that if I called myself a comic and went out to other places and actually tried to do the thing that I wouldn't be good at it. Um, so I kind of hid behind that, like, oh, this is just, you know, I work here. I go up sometimes. I write some jokes. But like in secret, I was like, you know, like writing all these jokes, thinking that I was, uh, uh, you know, um, working really hard on a set that was not good at all, uh, but still going up and doing it. And so um, that was kind of my like weird, that that one bar just kind of represents uh, like the beginning of comedy, um, the beginning of a spiral into alcoholism, um, just everything uh, wow. about my experience in Nashville. Wow. We have a bar like that here called the Liquid Zoo, and it hosts a bunch of open mics. And uh, one time I got there early, and there's a lot of hookers that hang out there, like real low rent hookers. And this guy came up to me and just started like doing one of these, and the bartender chased him off with a broom. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I was like, where are we? And then the host was like, Anna, 
don't come here early. No one hangs out here <laughs> unless, <laughs> unless there's, and he let me from there on out text him. I'm on my way. He put me right up and then I would leave. <laughs> Because it was like such a wackadoodle environment there. I don't know. Dave, have you ever done anything at the zoo? I've done shows at the Liquid Zoo. uh, Shows? And it's, yeah. And it's, and it's, uh, and it's been one of those things where you just go, you do your time and uh, you leave. Uh, There is a, a, a lot of colorful homeless uh, there um, and, you know, waiting to go up if you stand outside. Uh, there's like a, a big concrete wall that uh, sometimes a methed out homeless man will climb and speak French uh, while he does it. And then when the owner or the manager comes out to shoo him away, he'll run off and hop on a bus and just ride into the sunset <laughs> of the valley. Sarah, how many stabbings did you witness? That's so traumatic. So what's, a, what's the hard number of stabbings? Yeah. Um, let's see. There's two where I saw blood. Um, one, there was a guy, um, there's this guy named bird dog and I don't know what he did, but he, uh, he would hang out and like collect the aluminum cans and stuff. Uh, uh, I think to go sell them, but he was always there. And, uh, he always kind of—he was like this real short guy, and he always had one eye closed and one eye open. He's like, "My name's Bird Dog," what? and uh, one time he he walked in, and I was just sitting at the bar, and I heard like, "He's got a knife!" and like drunkenly what? came in wielding a knife one time. Um, a lot of characters is um, like I wouldn't um, close my mind how much time I spent there, but. Um, I also wouldn't trade some of those memories just cause you know, it's a, it's a part of my story. <laughs> mm, yeah. That's amazing. With kind of everything in your story and everything in your life, how do you make decisions? How do I make decisions? Ooh, uh, post recovery or, or, uh, pre recovery. Both. Go for it. Um, yeah, you can I contrast mean, and compare. We, we enjoy that here. All right. Um, let's see. I think when I when I first got into you know the rooms of AA, I would see all of these those little mantras. You know, let go and let God, one day at a time, uh, like live in the moment kind of things. And I didn't understand how my thinking was supposed to change because those mantras to me were how I lived. Um, you know, in uh, in alcoholism, it was um, just. I'm so I'm such a free spirit. I'll say yes to anything. Um, and now, recovery, I use those same mantras, but they mean a totally different thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to realize that I wasn't as free spirited as I had thought that I was. Mm-hmm. Um, just this idea of saying yes to anything. It was saying yes to anything that was um, that was selfish. Um, that was where I wanted to go that I, someplace where, you know, always look, searching for something better, um, someplace to get me out of myself, um, someplace where I think that there would be something, um, that I would find, you know, if people were, you know, Hey, let's go, let's leave this bar and go to a party. You know, I'm thinking, well, there's going to be something great if I go, um, because I was missing something. Mm-hmm. And then, um, now this idea of, you know, living to moment to moment, um, one day at a time. Um, it's kind of a reminder that um, 
you know, how feel in this moment is temporary and it's not how I'm going to feel forever. So if I'm sad, I can let myself be sad. And I know that that's not a permanent feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, that has eased a lot of that, uh, that searching feeling, um, where I think that my decisions that I make now are, you know, what's going to be best for me and what's going to be best for other people, mm-hmm. not necessarily in this moment. Um, because sometimes the best decision for me is to eat a sandwich and go to bed. <laughs> yes. Eat a sandwich and lie down. That's something my, yes. my stepmom always used to yell, honey, I think you need to eat a sandwich and lie down. <laughs> <laughs> What's your go-to sandwich? I know this is out of left field, but I want to know Ooh, from, from a sandwich kind of sewer. Uh, I want to know. Well, we have, um, Nashville doesn't have as good of sandwiches as other places like New York. And I've actually never been to LA, so I can't, um, you know, make a generalization about your, your sandwich culture there. Our sandwich game good is sandwiches. It's, yeah, Here it's okay. It's okay. It's, um, it's more of a taco city. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. I would say in terms of sandwiches, there is a place um, in, in Nashville I really like called Mitchell's, and they have a really good pastrami and Swiss. I'm a big fan of that. Um, and then just like the, the classic Italian sub, you know? Mm-hmm. I like an Italian sub, too. So anything with salami in it and like a, a sport pepper, I'm like, yeah, thank you. Salted <laughs> yes. meat for the win. Always about the salted meat. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Well, and uh, what would you say has been the most interesting thing you've learned about yourself in your recovery? Like, aside from your love of salty meats? <laughs> um, I love of salty meats. And, um, you know, really, I've just, um, I didn't know what the whole recovery game was gonna was gonna be. And I felt like, um, you know, I, he- I heard people say, like, you're going to be a totally different person than you were six months from now. And I didn't understand what they were talking about. Um, and I didn't really feel myself changing at all. Um, but I think there's just this kind of comfort of me being in my own skin um, mm-hmm. and me actually liking myself for mm-hmm. once. and. Um, I always thought that it was, uh, I think I had such low self-esteem that I I thought that if I were to say, you know, I'm great, I have a lot to offer, I'm funny, I'm smart, and I'm a good person, that that was me having a huge inflated ego. Mm. Um, But in reality, that um, I can say all those things now and um, mean them, and it doesn't make me egotistical. It kind of puts me down, um, you know, like they say, right size, where I can't, I can't help other people if I can't help myself. Um, I can't be a good friend if I'm not a good friend to myself. And just the comfort of, um, you know, being in my own, being in my own skin. I have only done comedy one time since uh, uh, the COVID stuff happened. I went to one like socially distanced outdoor open mic and didn't really have any jokes. Um, and didn't know what I was going to say, but there was a bunch, there was a few people there and I went up and another comic made a comment about how it seemed like I had been like writing or practicing because I seemed so comfortable back on stage. And, Mm -hmm. um, I thought about it. I'm like, that isn't me 
being better at comedy. That's just me being in recovery and actually feeling it and seeing it. Um, just not, not looking out at a crowd of people and being terrified at what they're thinking of me and trying to impress them. But just thinking like, we're all having fun. I am just going to riff a little bit and um, say some stuff that's on my mind because I'm funny. These people are here to see comedy. They're here to have a good time. Let's just all hang out together. I've never had that attitude about comedy before. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've gotten to be on stage a little bit recently and um, my give a fuck tank is so empty as far as like I care about the shows and I care about the jokes that I'm doing. But like it's it's almost like what what are you going to do? Take comedy away from me again? Like you, you can't like nothing can hurt me at this point. Like you, it's already been taken away from me. I've already experienced how bad it can be not being able to do this thing. And with the removal of comedy, I've learned to like deal with a lot of uh, my issues without comedy. And I'm not one of those chodes that says, oh, comedy is my therapy. But it's like I've learned to work things out with comedy, like joke wise. And you take that away and it's like, oh, crap. Now I need to find new tools to work through some of my issues. You know, like I, I like I went through a breakup in the pandemic and usually I'd be doing breakup material on stage afterwards, but I I didn't have that. So I had to, you know, just kind of figure it out so that by the time I got back to being on stage the few times, you know, I mean, Russ being rusty aside, there's just a freedom in it it, there that it maybe wasn't there pre pandemic because Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, all these people are just happy to experience some type of normalcy and you can feel that. And it's not like I was doing like hot COVID jokes and shit like that, but it was like, you know, I think everybody is very appreciative of the experience. So, I mean, who knows, you know, it might get taken away again, or I might never get to do it again, you know, but at least for the moments I've been able to do it, it's just felt good because there's a lack of, expectation because no one's even been around people for a while so not only am i relearning how to do stand-up but the audience is relearning how to be an audience you know yeah yeah it's true it's very true i imagine it what are the audiences like i haven't done any i had i almost did one live show at a military base and then i had a covid scare and um and wasn't able to do it because I had to quarantine for two weeks and I was a little relieved um because I was like oh I don't want to you know I think giving COVID to a bunch of kids who, who are the troops would be terrible um so I was just uh what was I mean what were the crowds like were they receptive or were they just like we're outside of our houses I uh I think it it was, uh, they were just very appreciative and very forgiving, I would say, just because they get it. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't, I don't think it was like easier by any means, because everybody's spread out and the clubs being safe and things like that. And yes, I did comedy indoors, fucking throw me up on a cross, everybody listening. But uh, I mean, I have to work. So like being able to work felt good. And my first set that I did after the long break, I I think 
I spent too much time telling the audience how grateful I was to be there and how <laughs> how amazing it was to see people. And it's like, you, you know, it's like I had to remind myself, it's like, just talk about your dick, idiot. Like, they don't care how much <laughs> gratitude you have in this moment. But yeah, I mean, it, it's been fine. And it's just, it's as safe as it's going to be, you know, and uh, I, I think everybody is relatively respectful to the degree that they can be so it's like it's not it's not wild wild west but it's also like you can only do so much you know to to um to make up for the fact that everybody can't sit together so like you're not going to get that whole uniform pop that you get like in a full crowded room where everybody's just kind of hidden by the group you know Mm -hmm. so like like they're laughing but they're it's it's like individual chunks of laughter instead of like one like continuous laughter or the energy rolling in from one joke to the next it, hmm. it it's so it's different in that way but you know i i i am just grateful to not have covid uh i i got another covid negative test uh this morning you know and i'm being safe about it like i'm going out i'm getting tested you know, I'm staying home for 14 days, I'm, you know, and, and, and that's what I think, at least for me, I'm not judging anybody else. Uh, and I would hope that they don't judge me. I'm just practicing risk reduction, which is, you know, uh, which is in line with the principles of recovery for me. I'm honest, I'm safe, and I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of those around me, you know, so for me, that's just the way it goes. Well, Dave, speaking of honesty, Sarah, what's your level of honesty in your life? Um, it's uh, <laughs> probably a lot better um, than, uh, than it was before. I, I think in terms of authenticity, um, mm. I think that I have become a lot more authentic, mm-hmm. um, not having that need and desire to fit in and change myself for other people so that other people like me. Mm-hmm. And I was not really aware of it. It wasn't really, you know, until I started working with a, with a sponsor and um, I just, I love, I love my sponsor and she talks a lot about um, her, you know, the idea of the authentic self. Um, and we're very similar, um, have very similar personalities and has she struggled with a lot of this stuff too. And just this idea of um, putting too much stock in like the image that other people see me as. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that when I was, um, why I loved bars so much um, and why I loved bar hopping is because I could be a different person at each place. Mm-hmm. Um, I even had, it was, I was thinking about this uh, the other day. I had different like usual drink orders at different bars like i would go into one bar and they'd be like oh here's like you know a pbr and a shot of you know maker's mark and then go into another bar and they'd be like here's your yingling (laughs) so it's weird i and i don't know how that happened it's just i feel like i sort of um was like a chameleon like chameleon that Mm -hmm. morphed into whatever um uh situation i was in and um i've been i've been trying to learn how to, um, with new friendships, um, that I have formed in recovery, um, and getting, having the opportunity to make friends where I'm starting off, um, from scratch 
and I can be honest um, and I can, you know, actually tell them, you know, who I am and, and my story, the way that it is not the way that I want them to be, mm. you know, I can just build these little, um, as my sponsor calls it, building blocks of intimacy, uh, mm. intimacy and connection. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I caught myself one time, um, I was talking to, to, to a friend in the program on the phone and, um, he asked me if I read a book. And I immediately said, oh, yeah, I've, yeah, I've read that book. Of course, I've read that book. And then I stopped and I paused. I'm like, really? Um, I own that book and it's on my shelf and I tell people that I've read it. But um, that's just because I want to seem smart. I've never read that book before. Yeah. That's my shit. That's my yeah. shit. Lying to people about things I haven't listened to or read. That is my shit. I love it. I don't do it as much anymore, but that, that is a go-to for me. I, I had a weird experience and I do that. I've, I've definitely, especially with like comics, I don't know where they find the time to see every movie and show on planet earth, but like they definitely are like, have you seen this? And I'm like, yes. What I mean is <laughs> I'm aware of it. Um, and so I'm starting to say I'm aware of it instead of that, you know, and um, the, uh, funny, funny repercussions. So I get in this relationship with this wonderful young man and I walk into his house and he has these beautiful bookshelves full of amazing books, like stuff that I'm like, Oh, I've read that. And that's really good. And tell me about this one. And then I realized he hadn't read any of them. In fact, he's not really a reader. And I was like a little bit, like tried to stay out of my judgment, but I was like, babe, just be you. If you don't like books, quit accumulating books. And he's like, well, I just, you know, I, I want to read them. I'm like, well, read them. <laughs> but yeah, that's like a super common thing. I love that. That's like the most, I love what you said about authenticity in, in the, you know, a uh, couple questions back. It's like that authenticity is so important and it's in those little things. It's in those little moments of trust where you're like, you know what? I haven't seen The Wire. I just haven't. I was busy. I don't watch a lot of shows about drug dealers because I did a lot of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I get it. I get it. That's amazing. What is um, your experience of fear and anxiety? <laughs> uh, how long do we have on this podcast? Get it, girl. <laughs> get open. Free it up. Talk, oh my God. Tell us all your fear stories. We got time. We got time. I think I have my like my 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 fear in inventory is so is so funny because it's like it's like I'm afraid of like not being able to find a parking spot and also dying alone like <laughs> so all over the map. Um, I think that those, se the those seem very similar though. You're just looking for someone to park with. I, I see the yeah. thread. They're not far. No, exactly. Or like, you know, I can't find a parking spot. And then I just, you know, I'm like, it's, it's, it's over. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna die now because it's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Um, I think the way that fear shows up in me is uh, future tripping and jumping to the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. um, I am totally that person where if, um, if someone texts me like, Hey, give me a call. I'm just like, oh God, they're, 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 they're dying. Um, they hate me. They want to tell me how much of a piece of shit that I am. Um, any, anything I could get, you know, a, a job promotion and I would like 
fantasize about it. And it does this ever happen to you that you, you like when you whenever you fantasize, you start like going into the worst case scenario in your fantasy. And then you're like, wait, no, I'm supposed to be thinking of something good and positive. Why is my mind directing it into how awful this could turn out for me? Nope, mm. never once. Not once have I thought <laughs> in my fantasies that it's been going to be fucking terrible. That's the, only, <laughs> that's the only fantasies I have. It's going to be fucking terrible. And then the best part is when you fantasize about terrible and then you do all the work surrounding the terrible. And then someone's like, no, 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 don't future trip. And then when the circumstance happens exactly the way you fucking terribly fantasized it went, it doesn't do good for the alcoholic mind where you're like, see? See, I knew it. Mm-hmm. I knew shit was going to go sour exactly the way it went down. I thought it, it happened. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. I've definitely experienced that. I'm like, oh, come on. I work really hard to be okay with this. <laughs> it's so funny. Such a crazy outcome. What's, um, and I do have to say that fear of finding a parking space, not finding a parking space and fear of dying alone is totally the same because it's fear of security. Yeah. Or have a lack thereof. Yeah. That is a very good point. Yeah. It's just the same. I I'm in the middle of right now. My sponsor has me before I even get into a six step, which by the way, here is my weekly reminder. If you're a 12 step person, you'll listen to this and you're like, I'm bored and I'm restless. Work your steps again. What else do you have to do? Your sponsor's bored. Get in it. You know, like try it. So working my steps again. And, um, I have this like massive 50 some odd list of fears I have to write about before I even get into my sixth step. Just crazy. Just crazy. Because for me, fear is the engine of character defects. And that brings us to our next question. Like what is, what is the character defect you're working on right now the most? Um, Oh, this is the easiest question for me is self pity. Ooh, oh, okay. I love, love a good pity party for mm, myself. Delicious. <laughs> yes. I, um, I over apologize. I over analyze. Um, I love, I love to think that I'm a burden to other people. And that's one of those things about, you know, sometimes you just need to eat a sandwich and go to bed. Um, I was such a bad drunk, drunk texter. And I, um, Still, like that, that did not go away when I quit drinking. That impulsive <laughs> urge yes. to call everyone that I've ever known ever mm-hmm. when it's like 11.30 at night. So um, you're a dry sometimes- drunk texter. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's sometimes, sometimes I just have to like sit on my hands because and like mm-hmm. look at my phone and be like, do not text and apologize um, to everybody that you've ever met ever for that one thing that you said weird five years ago. Um, they're probably not thinking about it. Um, but I am because I love to throw myself a pity party. Girl, you and me, we're sisters from another mister. I have to tell you that is I spent (laughs) my first five years texting people. Hey, I'm sorry about what I said last night. It was really inconsiderate of me and people going, what? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) What are you talking about? Are you are you okay? <laughs> I'd be like, actually, no. Uh, I am in a spiral of shame. <laughs> I will talk to you later. <laughs> yeah, it's the shame spiral. <laughs> oh, that's so wild. That's well, so- how do you experience forgiveness then of yourself for those things and the and the way you are, or how do you experience forgiveness uh, uh, towards other people? 
Yeah. Um, for goodness. I mean, there's definitely a few kind of people who I feel like, um, they've wronged me. And, um, I think that, you know, the whole recovery, it's not something that just happens over and overnight where, um, you know, I've done all the steps and now I don't get angry. Uh, <laughs> or now I don't, now I don't feel resent for, you know, resentment towards people anymore. I mean, there's definitely, uh, some people that they, you know, their name comes up and I'm like, mm, <laughs> but I feel, I think that the, uh, the way that I, that I handle it, um, there was, man, there was, there was some people that I was so angry at, like I could physically, if, if their name popped in my head, I'd be driving in my car and I could like feel my knuckles gripping the wheel and just like, Oh, I could like feel it in my stomach, how angry I was. And I don't feel it that bad anymore, but that doesn't mean that I don't need to, um, work on, uh, forgiveness and, you know, do some more, um, you know, amends and, um, forgive myself. I think that there's some people that I'm quick to forgive quick to forgive. Um, you know, I, I'll give other people grace. Um, you know, if somebody, somebody makes an ass out of themselves and, uh, apologizes to me, it, it doesn't cross my mind not to, um, not to forgive them. And then I have to remember that I have to give myself that same grace because I've made an ass out of myself so many times. Oh man, I went on stage blackout a couple of times and said some really dumb things that everybody probably just laughed off and was like, Sarah got on stage blackout drunk. And I just have to forgive myself because I can't mm -hmm. change it. I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't say anything um, that, that was mean. Um, I just said a bunch of dumb stuff and I need to kind of laugh it off and not um, take myself so seriously. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's the trick is not taking yourself so seriously. It's really not yes. the end of the world. It's really not. Most of the time, people don't even notice. But it's 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 the humility part where you get right with yourself and others, and that's that's so fascinating because it is the difference between the like I'm so sorry, I'm such a piece of shit, to like, hey, I did this thing, and um, it's wrong. I can see the effects that it's had on you, and how can I make it right? And that's that's like a different that's a different thing, and. My question is, what is, aside from the, like, um, you know, I'm so sorry about that thing I said five years ago. It's probably why you hate me. Um, text messages. What are, what's the weirdest apology you've ever given or gotten? Oh, man. Um, weirdest apology I've ever There's been something that I've been in my, in my um, amends process is, you know, I'm not going to like call out any specific people or situations, but, um, I have had to make some amends to some old, um, bar friends and some old, you know, like college right after college friends that, um, I used to party with. And these are people who I, I was, I jumped from friend group to friend group. Cause I, um, totally. Yeah, yeah, because uh, I, I would overstay my welcome. I was always the last one to leave the party, um, the last one to the last one at last call, and I think I, I wore a lot of people out. I could feel, you know, the, the eyes rolling. Like when I would start to feel the, you know, 
oh, you invited Sarah. Great. Kind of eye roll. And I would know that my time with that friend group was getting expired. So I jumped Mm. to the next one. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, when I had to go and make some amends to some of these people, these are people that I was just so desperately trying to change myself to fit in with and reconnecting with them, um, doing my amends. And, you know, some, some of them would want to like rebuild that, um, that friendship and keep hanging out, you know, it's great to see you. Let's hang out again. And I've hung out with a couple of them and just realized like, why was I trying so hard to impress this person? We have nothing in common. Uh, Our conversations are so surface level, especially after having, you know, building such a strong relationship with, you know, my sponsor and some of the people in this program and, you know, connect even like people like you guys, where we can have these really in-depth looks at ourselves and have a really good back and forth conversation. And when things are just surface level, it, um, puts it, it puts it in perspective. how much stock I put into those, those people back in active addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I want to just walk up to people and be like, I don't really do surface level conversations. My bad. When I'm asking you, Hey, how you doing? I mean it. <laughs> and sometimes that's regrettable, especially at open mics in LA. Cause there's some people that'll be like, Oh, you want to know how I'm doing for real? And I'm like, ah, too much. So it's, but it's beautiful. Connection is really beautiful. And My favorite is telling people I'm doing terrible when they ask. <laughs> I just like terrible. Thanks for asking. I think that's how we became friends. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I love it. What's your um, your day to day routine to keep yourself centered? What's your daily sort of like get down? Um, let's see. It's been a little, uh, out of whack recently. Um, I have my, my house has turned into like a giant tornado of clutter. I'm not a clean person. Um, but in recovery, I've been trying to keep a cleaner house because, um, (laughs) literally and figuratively cleaning house, Mm -hmm. uh, because if, I used to, I used to treat my, my possessions, like my, my house was a place where I would, um, pass out and it was like a bed and, you know, my car was a place that I was my trash can. And now, um, I'm just trying to take better care of things. So I'm trying to keep things cleaner. Um, and try to eat healthier. That's what my, I'm still like bad at this whole self care thing. My, um, my, my sponsor talks about, you know, step, step 11, which is all about, you know, prayer and conscious contact can also mean other things that it's, it's taking a look at, um, everything that you are doing to put yourself in as to be as spiritually fit as possible. So it's like, what are you eating? Are you drinking enough water? Are you brushing your teeth before you go to bed? Are you making your bed in the morning? Like those are all parts of that maintenance at step, uh, step 10 and 11. Um, but now, uh, I would say that my routine, I work from home. Um, and so I try to, uh, I got, I have like a standing desk. So I try to like mix it up between my office chair, standing up, sitting on my couch, 
Um, I have a dog um, getting out and, and, and doing some walks with my dog. And then um, just like calling and texting uh, people as much as possible. Um, always answering the phone unless I'm like in a work meeting. I try to always answer the phone when somebody calls because usually it puts me in a better mood or, um, mm. you know, if, if it's somebody from the program reaching out or like a potential sponsee that I've given my um, phone number to reaching out that usually brightens my day. And then um, on the weekends, I, my home group meet, there's two meetings back to back in the mornings. It's uh, 9 a.m is a book study and then 10 30 is an open discussion on saturday and sunday and if you would have told me that i would wake up and do like four hours of aa meetings um at 9 a.m and spend my whole mornings of my weekends when i would usually be sleeping in Mm -hmm. uh going and sitting in a room or being on zoom with a bunch of um you know, drunk people, I would have thought you were crazy, but it really is the, the like the highlight of my weekend. Aww. I love my home group so much. Aww. Oh, I know it's so sweet. I'm so cheesy. I'm, I'm like, no, no. <laughs> so That's, cheesy for, uh, for my people. Yeah. Trust me. I felt that way a lot. And then I've also felt like, fuck the program and everybody in it. So like, enjoy it while it's still good. <laughs> Yeah. If, if you're if you're anything like me, which I pray that you're not, uh, you're gonna you're gonna eventually be like, all these people suck. I'm tired of hearing about that dude's divorces and fucking that guy can't get sober. He should get out of here. I'm in a better place now. But I, I, I mean, yeah. So it's, One of it's the, all te- it's all temporary. <laughs> yeah, totally. One of the gifts of COVID has been. I got to, I was the, my home group in Long Beach was this meeting on Mondays at 8 p.m. And it's a women's meeting. And when I started doing standup, I was unable to attend because that's like the big night to go be seen and, you know, with the audition type mics in LA. So I stopped going to that meeting. And one of the gifts of this whole thing is I get to go every week and the core group of women that were there when I went was there, but then there are these, all these other women that I'm getting to know. And it's really fascinating and really sweet and lovely and like, you know, ridiculous. There's of course we have our crazy lady who has been brain damaged from getting hit by a bus. And like, she, uh, she'll say something that's a little, like a little cuckoo bananas and I'll watch all these women just go like, Oh God, I can't. And they're just like head in their hands. (laughs) And it's like, it's just like really sweet, but also very funny, like way to reconnect with those people. I totally get it. I totally get it. It's okay to be cheesy. Love what you do. Home group love. Yeah. And I've also wanted to fight everybody in a meeting before as well. So that's, you know, more will be revealed. There'll be a moment where you're like, I want to kill everybody in here. home group should be that one meeting that you don't fucking hate you know at the very least like that's when i first moved to la like my home group was on the beach next to the ocean because i needed to pick a home group and i absolutely hated everybody in that meeting until i found (laughs) until i found the meeting that i was supposed to be in you know with a bunch of old timers like i sat next to the ocean watching dolphins going fuck everybody on this beach right now so (laughs) 
I love it. Dave is the salt to my sweet and I love it. <laughs> I love it. You had mentioned the 11 step earlier. What's your relationship with your higher power like? Uh, I don't know. You know, uh, it's not me. It's not my uh, opinions about things. It's not my, uh, I can tell you everything that my higher power isn't, um, is what okay. I can tell you. Because that's what, um, that's what this whole dependence on a higher power has been a giant learning lesson for me that, um, you know, I thought I was a pretty big, I guess, atheist agnostic. I didn't even want to put a label on it because I felt like I had, I was one of those people who, when people said like, oh, I'm agnostic, uh, it would just like roll my eyes at them and be like, oh, I know exactly what type of person you are. Mm. Um, I was just like, very not anything and so um when when you know when when i when i found out i'm like i want to quit drinking okay i have to like believe in god sure whatever um and then when it was pointed out to me that i had already had so much blind faith in mm. myself in my i had blind faith that my uh, my opinions about everything were right um, that I could um, control and manipulate every situation to my advantage and it would work out great. Um, I believed in that and it did not because obviously I'm in recovery, so it didn't work out that well. Um, yeah, and it just my uh, this feeling of always having to be right about any, everything. I put so much faith in that um, and to give that up just to something else that's not me um is very uh freeing it's very um it it takes that like i said before that hands-off living it it takes the weight the burden of you know i i'm carrying the the world on my shoulders i've been so wronged by the world and only i can fix and repair it mm -hmm. um just all all of that chip on my shoulder um it totally removed it um, I do have, I, I do have like a great analogy that I just wrote this week uh, because I haven't really been writing comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, but I told this to my sponsor. Um, we have this inside joke about, um, called love pizza. It's something that I say a lot, um, referring to things that like, just fill me up with joy. Like, yeah. you know, if like, so, you know, one of the old timers in my home group will say something really sweet. I'll be like, oh, love pizza. That makes me feel, that's like so sweet. Love pizza. I'm filled it. up with love. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I was, uh, I, was, I was talking with my sponsor. I made this whole analogy. I'm like, I figured out, uh, I figured out AA and recovery and love and the meaning of the universe and, and God. I figured it all out in this pizza analogy. Um, cause I'm not writing comedy and this is what happens when I don't write comedy is I just write AA analogies. <laughs> um, yes. So, okay. So it's this idea that, all right, we are all just ovens cooking up the love pizza of life and God is the pizza maker. And all I have to do, I have one job. My only job is to just cook the pizza like someone puts a pizza in me and i just gotta make sure that like i am well maintained and clean that's all i have to do is just work on myself make sure that i'm a good oven capable of cooking the pizza and just trust that the pizza maker out there 
who I don't know, don't see. All I see is the stuff that he puts in me and I just have to trust that it's going to keep coming. And that's when sometimes I get lazy and I think, you know, well, there's no pizza, there's no pizza coming. So there's obviously no pizza maker, but it's just because I've gotten lazy and the pizza maker is like, yeah, uh, you're, there's going to start a grease fire if I put anything in you because you've just been sitting on your ass, not doing anything. Uh, you're going to, you're going to let yourself on fire. So that's my only job is just to maintain, take care of myself. And we're all just ovens. We're all just cooking up this love pizza and we just get to share our pizza with each other. Oh, Mama Mia. Oh my heart. I love that so much. <laughs> ah, love pizza. Yes. Pizza. At uh. least we know at least we know the pizza maker is not Papa John. So that's mm. that's uh, that's the only comfort we can yes. take is that the pizza maker is not Papa John. Oh, mm-hmm. that's yeah. it's I mean obviously oh papa john oh dear um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh man but we have done it we we have we have successfully navigated 11 of the 12 questions can you believe it oh my gosh we're down to the last question i think this is going to be the hardest i always hate these like wrap up questions or i'm like oh this has to be put so much pressure on myself like this is where i have to say the thing that's going to be you know I mean, you end, you ended on love pizza. So, I mean, you really can't yeah, torpedo I... it. You can't torpedo <laughs> it that bad yeah. with <laughs> this last question, which is, Sarah Dalton, what would you tell someone just like you listening? Just like me listening. This one I didn't really prepare for. So I will just say, um, just to let go, like, it's so mm-hmm. cheesy, but just let go, you know, mm-hmm. uh, put your hands up and surrender and um, stop uh, caring so much. And yeah, just let just just let go and have fun. Stop worrying. It's going to be fine. Yep. Fucking make pizza. Make, make that love pizza. pizza. Make that love make pizza. Make love pizza. Make love to a pizza. All the pizza and all the love. That if you make it. love to a pizza, try to do it on OnlyFans because you should make some money off that shit. I'm just saying. You should. You shouldn't be That's making love true. to pizzas for free. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, sir. You've been a total delight. Thank you so much for coming oh. on the podcast. Thank you for having me. You guys are so great. This was a blast. Yay! Where can people? We're trying. We're, we're trying. doing. We do our best. Where can people find you? Where can people uh, find your they... comedy? Aside um, from the dive bar with the roaches. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, where sometimes I will post jokes, and my Twitter handle is uh, Daltron underscore thirty thirty. Hey, like Deltron like 3030. Yeah, I like a yes. good Delta Homo Sapien, the funky yes. Homo Sapien reference. Yeah. You guys get the reference. Nobody ever gets the reference. Yes. Oh my gosh. Um, that's amazing. Uh okay. Uh Dave, where can people find you? People can find me at Yatestron. I'm just kidding. Uh at ah. Yates Comedy, Y-A-T-E-S comedy on Instagram, Twitter, and Venmo. Um, and you can also order hot sauce from me, hahahotsauce.com, because it helps pay the bills. 
It's absolutely delicious. Ladies and gentlemen, try it. I can't remember. I just had some the other day. I was re I was making dinner and I thought to myself, ha ha hot sauce. That's the right one for this meal. And I went for you it. You can put the ha ha hot sauce on your love pizza. <gasps> Oh, but so definitely good. don't fuck that pizza after the hot sauce is on it. You're yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, your your genitals will be ablaze. Uh, and <laughs> it is really good on Love Pizza. I do have to say it's delightful. Uh, you can find that's me. Anna. That's the upcoming title of Anna's next album is Genitals Ablaze. Genitals Ablaze. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Where can you, people find you, Miss Valenzuela? You can find me at Anna V is fun on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find and Venmo. You can find me at AnnaValenzuela.com. Uh, you can find this podcast at 12QPod, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the things. We're on Anchor now. We have a supporter, somebody who's giving us $4.99 a month to keep doing this. Keep them, keep them donations rolling in, babies. Come on in. Tell your friends. Tell your family. We'll start a Patreon soon. We'll have additional content. It's going to be amazing. And how we end this podcast every time. Yeah, every Sarah, time. Every time. Sarah, if nobody's told you this today, we love you. Oh, love you, you, Sarah. We love pizza. Love you guys you. so much. Yes. Yeah, we love pizza, you. Yes. I love pizza, you too. Oh, and Dave, if nobody has told you this today, we love you. Love yeah, pizza, yeah. you. The whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and if you're listening and nobody's told you this today, we love you. Now put that in your little oven and just cook it up. All Boom, right. Cook that love pizza, y'all. Thanks for listening. Take care, everybody. All right. Bye. Bye. Okay.